Well, again, uh, it is a great joy to be with you all. I don't even know if I introduced myself. I apologize. My name's uh, my name's Jameson. Um, what we're going to do now is obviously we're going to open up God's Word in Ephesians chapter six, verse seventeen to twenty-four. It's on page, I believe, nine seventy-nine of the Bibles under your chair. If you don't yet own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it home, use it, please. Um, and then, uh, yeah, what we're going to as you're turning there, let me pray for us and for myself one more time, as you can tell. I could use some focus right now. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. You are so great. Your your faithfulness is beyond measure. Your power is immeasurably great. And Lord, this morning we come before you to hear from your word. Lord, we count it a great joy and a great privilege uh, to be able to sit and hear your inspired, your inerrant scripture. This, this word that is profitable for training in righteousness and powerful unto salvation. And so, Lord, we ask that as we open your word, that regardless of what we brought in this morning, whether it be joy, whether it be sorrow, whether it be suffering, whether it be anxiety, whether it be the to-do list or the thousand and one things on our minds, that you would calm us, that we would be still and know that you are God. And that when God is speaking, we need nothing more than to be listening. And so we ask, God, that you'd open the eyes and the ears of our hearts and our souls. That we'd be quick to hear from you that your spirit would be the one teaching us. That your word would be our ultimate rule that we listen to and then submit submit to. That your glory would be what we are most concerned with pursuing And your son would be our ever-increasing joy. Lord, I do pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray specifically for the focus and the uh, spirit-given ability to speak and only say what would make most of Jesus. And I pray that we would be a people who leave this room more in love with the very son who came to be our savior than even when we entered it. And then use us, Lord. Use us in your purposes in the world, wherever you have us, whether that be at home with children or leaving and going abroad to see those of different places and people groups. Use us as your missionaries because we've been so overwhelmed and captivated by your love in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I know it's the middle of summer and vacation is on the minds for many of us, but As we jump into Ephesians chapter 6, I remind us that the Apostle Paul says, the Christian life is not a vacation. The Christian life is a battle. The Christian life is not meant to be a chill at the beach sort of vacation. It's a spiritual battle. And this is not news to you if you were with us last week as we began to conclude Paul's letter to the church near Ephesus, this first century letter that was written to the house churches that gathered there. And he told them that I want you to stand up and wage spiritual war, to battle Satan and the schemes of the devil by God's strength, suited up in God's armor. And so his big idea today is we, believe it or not, finally conclude our journey through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, is that I want you to continue in spiritual warfare, not just by standing up, and suiting up, but now by speaking up 
and Holy Spirit-inspired prayer. Wage spiritual war by standing up, suiting up, and today the focus is primarily on speaking up, talking with God in prayer. But what comes to mind for you when you hear the word prayer? What comes to mind when you hear the word prayer? Do you think, that's what the pastors do? That's, that's what with like the super spiritual, hyper-religious people do. I don't know what that even looks like. Or maybe for you, prayer is like the room service button on the hotel telephone. I'm so tired, I don't even want to go down to the restaurant to get it. I just want to hit a button and have my desires fulfilled. We have our bucket list, and we only go to God when we want something off that list. But what if, and here's what the Apostle Paul and I am positing before you this morning, what if prayer is much more than a means to our comfort? What if prayer is the primary tool that God has given you and I for enjoying Him and then pursuing this spiritual war that He's given us? See, that's what Paul's getting at when he talks about prayer in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 to 24. And one pastor very articulately reflects on this passage and the idea of prayer and says this, um, which I will read for you. He says, prayer is more like our walkie-talkie. Here it is. It's on the screen behind me. Prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. Wow. Prayer often malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. It's not a bad thing to pray. I pray about all things. But prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Do you hear how important prayer is? Prayer is how we get to talk to the general on the battlefield as us, the army, are taking this gospel and advancing the kingdom and pushing back the darkness. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is meaningful. Paul wants us. The very last things he says to the church in Ephesus, sometimes the most meaningful things are the last things you say. The very last things he tells them, be a praying people. Stand up and fight this spiritual war by praying. But what does that look like? What should we do? Well, that's what he answers today. He says, I want you to pray spiritually. I want you to pray comprehensively. And I want you to pray missionally. And believe it or not, most of that comes before we hit verse 21. So most of our time is going to be in 17 to 20. And if you have your Bibles, keep them open. I want you to see that these are not my ideas. These are God's ideas given and inspired to Paul through the Word. Let's begin. We should be a praying church, praying spiritually in verse 17 and 18. Listen along with me. So he continues from talking about the armor of God to now talking about praying. And he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. What's the sword of the Spirit? Which is the Word of God. Very good. Which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Church, little confession that may make some of you uncomfortable, but I, I certainly love you. But making house visits to some of your places scares the living daylights out of me. And here's why. See, for most of my life, I've lived in a city. 
And the very first month after arriving here, a, a very kind, warm, loving family invited all four of us, the Parkers, over to their house for dinner. And I was like, oh, yeah, where do you live? And they're like, uh, somewhere near Carbondale. So I got the address, and I, and I believe what I thought was Maconda. I, I now know it's Maconda. <laughs> Maconda. I'm like, hey, Jen, we're going to go to dinner in Maconda tonight. Does that sound fun? Yeah, we'll do that. My first mistake was thinking Maconda was this cute little neighborhood near downtown Carbondale. <laughs> Middle of nowhere. My second mistake was trying to get there without considering the fact that my cell phone, Google Maps, GPS would likely go out halfway there. So picture this. Fresh out of the city, like less than a month out of the city, Parker family. Here we are, crammed into our little blue sedan, strolling these windy roads. The sun's going down. Critters than anything bigger I've ever seen outside the zoo are coming out. And I'm not only fearing for my appetite and dinner, but for my life. Where in the world are we? I don't want to go back to Maconda. <laughs> you know what I needed in that moment? I needed Google Maps to kick in. I needed my advocate, my guide, my helper to get me through the dark, the windy, the roads that I've never been on. The roads that, why would they not put street lights on them? <laughs> I needed an advocate to get me there. When we get to verse 18, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit, we listen and we hear him advocating for us to pray with the help of our spiritual GPS. The Holy Spirit himself, who Jesus says in John chapter 14 and 15, is like our advocate, our guide, our helper, helping us to navigate this spiritual battlefield that you and I are on, speaking to us about who God is and reminding and aligning our desires with his very desires. And it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, capital S for a reason in verse 18, the third person of the Trinity Equal with Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us access to the Father in chapter 2, verse 18 of Ephesians. Chapter 5, verse 18. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. You can't live the Christian life apart from the Spirit. And so, no wonder Paul also says in verse 18 of chapter 6, that you must depend on the Spirit as you seek to pray through the Spirit. Verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit. First and foremost, what does that not mean? Well, I don't think it means that you have to pray these long, ornate, drawn-out prayers. You and I know that much speaking doesn't always mean much praying. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But I also don't think it means that it only uh, praying in the Spirit is only when you're praying in tongues and really loud and super religious words. Sometimes that's the case, but that's not written in the text right here. What is written in the text in verse 17 is there's a correlation between praying in the Spirit and intaking God's Word. Listen to what comes right before verse 18 about the relationship between God's Word used by the Spirit to help us navigate the bumpy roads of life. Verse 17. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. 
Do you want to be a spirit-dependent prayer? Well, then we need to be a word-saturated reader. You want to be a spirit-dependent prayer with the Holy Spirit, then you must be a holy, holy scripture-dependent reader. And here's what I mean. You hear the relationship right here, 17 to 18. Praying in the Holy Spirit, consuming and taking the word of God, they go together. The Holy Spirit uses God's word like the roadmap, the GPS that you and I need to realign our thoughts, the day after day thoughts and prayers that you and I have. See, the word of God is scripture, inspired, inerrant, given by God, the belt of truth, like Paul said last week in the armor. What happens when you don't put the belt on? The pants of godly perspective fall down. You start having crazy thoughts. You, you, you forget who God is and what he's made you to be like and do. But the word of God is profitable for training in righteousness. We store it up in our hearts and it keeps us from sin. It's powerful unto salvation. And so we need the word of God. We need to be a spirit-filled church. And the spirit-filled church is a word-saturated church. The spirit-filled church is the word-saturated church. That's why we preach through books of the Bible. So we talk about scripture throughout the week in our lives together. So question for you, what prominence do you give the word of God in your life? Beyond the times where I tell you to open it up on Sunday mornings, what prominence do you give the word of God in your own life? Like, uh, is it something you have to do? Like you go to it just because is someone encouraged you to do it? Or do you look forward to hearing from your heavenly father Speak his very inspired words to you because he does that when you open this up. How incredible. God so wants you to know what he's like that he's spoken in a way that you can hear him in his word. What prominence does the word of God have in your life? And then what prominence does the word of God have in your prayers? See, one of my heroes of the faith is his pastor in the mid-19th century, man well before his time. And what he advocated for was the church more than any tools or systems or lights or fog machines. What the church always and will forever need is Jesus Christ, first and foremost, and then a church, uh, an army of people that are spirit-dependent and word-saturated prayers. Prayers. Listen to what he said. His strategy for healthy church growth. Listen to how novel this is. What the church needs today is not more machinery, new organizations, or more, or, or more novel methods, but people who the Holy Spirit can use. People of prayer. People whom the Holy Spirit can use. People of prayer. People in whom the Word of God dwells richly. Whom, in whom the word of God is meditated on, memorized, is prayed through. And so here's my challenge to you, as I've already made an invitation, what prominence does scripture have in your life? My challenge to you is, will you continue and newly commit to praying dependently for God to accomplish his purposes through this church? Will you join me before you do any other work for this church? Would you be quick to get on your knees for this church? 
before you do any other work for this church, would you be quick to get on your knees for this church? Would you be quick to ask God to accomplish the things that only God can accomplish so that in 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years from now, we look back and we see the the world looks and sees Christian Covenant Fellowship. Right now, a congregation, a community of about 140 people. But things happen through that church that can't be explained merely because 140 people got together and tried to do something. But things happen because God was there. That God was active. That God was responding to the pleas of His people and doing something that can only be attributed to sovereign power and done for sovereign purposes. Would you be those people? That's the invitation that Paul puts before you and I at the end of his letter to the Ephesians. And to help you with that, I was thinking this week, how am I going to not just yell at them, but give them something to do? (laughs) And so I took 10 minutes and Vistaprint did the rest. Um, You saw this on your chair. when you. I'm going to invite you to pull this out. Please pull this out. What you have here is praying Ephesians, letting God's word become your words. And on the back... What I've done is my, my best, concise, one-page, undersized, 12 font. I know, I know. Put the glasses on. It's a summary of many of the big ideas from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And these are great prayer requests. All I did was take what Paul has already put in, put in the letter to the Ephesians, and I put them in one place for you. So this week when you're like, how can I let God's word guide my prayers for this church? Well, here it is. Put this in your Bible. Put it on your refrigerator. Put it somewhere besides the trash can. And please use it this week. That's my invitation to you. Commit and then employ this this prayer card, not only this week, but moving forward. So first and foremost, Paul wants us to pray spiritually. And second, let's go back to the text. He wants us to pray comprehensively. Comprehensive. Listen to verse 18. That's how Paul wants us to pray. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Did you hear that four times repeated word? All. All. Prayer is not a part-time hobby. Prayer is not a part-time recreation. The Christian is called to an all-of-life posture in prayer. And Paul begins by saying, first, pray at all times. Early prayers, late prayers, scheduled prayers, unscheduled prayers. But the question that I had to wrestle with, and I'm sure many of you had to wrestle with, as you maybe are wrestling with, doesn't life feel too busy to pray sometimes? Doesn't life feel so overwhelming that when in the world am I going to pray besides when I go to bed and fall asleep and the means through which puts me to sleep sometimes? When am I going to pray in the midst all the craziness with my kids, my grandkids, my job, everything else going on? And maybe for you it's not when am I going to, but why do I need to? God, life seems pretty good right now. You gave me the big things I asked for. I'm out of the hospital. My bank account is fine. I prayed, and you answered. That's that, right? Paul says pray at all times. 
Not uh, praying until you get what you ask for from God, but praying because we are always asking God to accomplish His purposes increasingly so through the world. And it's so sobering and encouraging to us to remember that the most busy missionary ever, Jesus Christ, never thought life was too busy to pray. He would regularly make time in the mornings to spend with God in prayer, not because he didn't need it or because it was a waste of time, but because he knew prayer was one of the means through which God puts into practice the promises and his power in the world. How much more so should we be people of prayer? How much more so? Do you make time to pray? Do you make time to pray? I know it sounds crazy. We schedule what matters most to us, usually. Shouldn't we be quick to schedule a time of prayer? What if this week, 15 minutes every day, maybe it's your lunch break, right when you wake up and say, the first 15 minutes I'm going to do during that block of time, I'm going to pray for the church. I'm going to get this little card out of the trash can, and I'm going to get it out, and I'm going to turn it over, and I'm going to pray through that list. I'm so encouraged. One of the things that I love seeing week after week in the office, there are two women in this church, I know so many more than just these two, but two women who gather in the nursery every week to pray for our church at the same time, the same day. They've made a plan to pray regularly. And it's not like they need a circus and a big old pat on the back for doing this. But they do it because they know prayer is important, praying at all times. And so I invite you to pray at all times. And second, I invite you to pray, it says here, in verse 18, with all prayer and supplication. Essentially, when we talk to God, we have a posture of believing, expectancy, and faith that God is God and we are not. So whatever he sees fit to give, we will receive. And we'll continue to go praying to him on first Wednesday prayer nights, Sunday mornings, and all times in between. So pray on all prayer and supplication. And then third, to that end... Keep alert with all perseverance. Perseverance means steadfastness, commitment to a mission, even when you're fatigued. How many of you feel fatigued this morning? How many of you are like, if you had any idea what my job was like this week, if you had any idea how little I slept, you wouldn't be asking me to pray, you'd be asking me to take a nap. And maybe you will later today. Hopefully not right now. (laughs) One woman in our congregation, speaking of physical fatigue, she has run, get this, marathons, like the 26.2, why in the world would you do that sort of running race? She's run marathons in 46 states and counting. And I'm sure if you talk to her, she'll tell you mile one of that every single race, easy, piece of cake, no big deal. By that mile 20 and everything beyond, every step after that, perseverance is the name of the game. That's all that it is. A steadfast commitment to the mission that you have desired to see to its fulfillment. And knowing that the finish line is in sight is what motivates her to keep going in those moments of fatigue, of desperation, of, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? See, you and I, we need perseverance. Paul prays for perseverance because he knows what happens to us. He knows we get tired. We're human. We're finite. We're not God. We get tired. We get weary. We need encouragement. And the good news and the bad news for the Christian is this. There is no halftime in the Christian life. Satan and his schemes, whom we are praying against, 
He does not take a pause. He doesn't hit the water stations and just chill in the midst of the race that the spiritual battle is. But there is a finish line for the Christian. There is a finish line. Here's what I mean. Christ has come once in humility. He has come to defeat the powers of sin and Satan and death in fullness at the cross. And now he is working to break the power over sin in our lives. And yet we anticipate his return in glory. See, Paul tells us to keep alert. Like, be on guard. Stay, literally means awake. His original audience would have heard keep alert, and they would have thought, stay awake. Don't fall asleep spiritually, physically, like many of you are want to do at this point in the morning, at around 11 o'clock. I see it every Sunday. <laughs> Paul says, keep alert. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Because Christ is coming back. There is a purpose and a mission that he seeks to accomplish in and through the church. Don't fall asleep. Don't let the fatigue of miles 20 and beyond, the things of this world, the kingdoms that we live in, overcome and supersede the kingdom of God that we're called to participate in. Oh, and it's such a needed reminder, isn't it? Even Jesus' disciples needed this. Remember that last night of Jesus' life in the Garden of Gethsemane? How anguished Jesus was, sweating drops of blood. I can't imagine a more emotionally difficult moment than the night before I knew I was going to be crucified. So what does Jesus do? He asks his closest friends to stay awake and pray for me. Pray for my soul that I would be encouraged and comforted even in these midst before my death. My death. And what did the disciples do? They fell asleep. Oh, man. Guys, we've been given such a great mission. We've been given such a great Savior. And yet we fall asleep so easily. Let us not be a church that falls asleep. Let us not be a church that gives up at mile 19. Let us be a church that sees it through to the finish line because we don't know when Christ will return. So we should continue with all perseverance. Remember, Christ will come. He has promised that. Listen to Mark chapter 13. This is the promise of His return. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep Awake, for you do not know when that time will come. You probably hear it in my voice every Sunday morning before the sermon starts. I need focus as much as any of us do. I need perseverance as much as any of you do. One of the prayers that I so regularly pray for my own heart comes from Psalm 90. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days aright, that we may get a heart of wisdom. I need God to help me think about eternity and the return of Christ much more than I need to think about just that day or even tomorrow. See, when you think often of eternity, it inspires urgency. When you think often of eternity, it will inspire 
urgency. It will motivate you to not fall asleep. It will keep you awake because you know Christ is coming back. The salvation of the lost is at stake. The edification and the sanctification of the saint is at stake. There are kingdom purposes to be accomplished and God calls us to participate in and through the process of prayer. Talking to Him, calling out to the general, picking up the walkie-talkie. I don't think that's what a walkie-talkie looks like. Maybe like this. Picking up the walkie-talkie and saying, God, help us. We need Jesus to do more than we can do. Think of eternity often, guys. Let it inspire urgency. So the question for you this week, how might you think of eternity? And how might that change what you're practically pursuing Monday through Saturday? And Sunday, but after Sunday. Finally, the last all in our comprehensive prayer life, make supplication for whom? For the people you like? For the people you're going to Golden Corral with? For the people you love and find the most similarity? No. Listen. Making supplication for all the saints. Everyone. All the saints. The ones you find easy to love. The ones you find difficult to love. The ones in your age range. The ones below or above your age age range. The ones who share political affiliation. The ones who don't share political affiliation. All the saints means all the saints. And here's why. When you become a Christian, you're given a new family. When you become a Christian, you are given a new family. We were once separated from Christ and God and one another. But in Christ Jesus, we've been adopted. We've been reconciled, brought together, one new family. The blood of biology now superseded by the blood that was shed at Calvary. The blood of biology takes a backseat to the blood that was shed at Calvary. If you are in Christ, then and the, your, uh, the other neighbor next to you today is in Christ, you are family. And much as you would care for your family and do anything for them, how much more so than what you should be doing for the people who you'll spend eternity with? Guys, we are family in Christ Jesus. We therefore pray for all the saints, asking God to accomplish what would be most glorifying to Him and most good for them. And regular, regular petition. First question before you can pray for the saints is, do you know the saints? Do you know the saints? See, Paul is assuming a level of intimacy where you could look around the church gathering and say, I know Jimmy needs prayer for this. I know Johnny needs prayer for that because we're in conversation often. I know what to pray for them and they know what to pray for me. So the first plug I have for you, is if you're not yet in that sort of intimate relationship outside of Sunday morning, well, we've made forms for that. Wednesday evenings in small groups. And we, we've been praying that you would per- consider participating in one of those. And if so, if you're interested, put it on your Connect card. I'll help get you connected with one of these in order that you can grow in love for God and one another. And then would you, this week, maybe on the back of your little prayer card, just write in one or two other people's names in the church. You probably can't pray for 140 people specifically this week, but you could probably pray for two or three. Write the names of two or three people you're close with and ways that you could be praying. Ask them, hey, how can I be praying for you? And then pull this out. Pray for them with God's words guiding you. 
So Paul wants us to be praying spiritually, comprehensively, and finally, verse 19 to 20, he wants us to be praying missionally. Turn with me as we turn to conclude our time in Ephesians 6. Paul wants us to be praying missionally. Verse 19 and 20. This is how he asked for prayer for himself. And also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, this guy's not chilling on the couch or at the beach. He's in house arrest for evangelization. He's facing obstacle, and listen to what he's praying for. That I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. A man facing obstacle, praying for opportunity. A man facing obstacle, praying for opportunity. One of the most encouraging things that I get to experience as your pastor is when I hear about people in this church who are so joyful in Jesus that they become so burdened by the lostness they see around us to then go and talk to others about him. This week, I think it was early Wednesday or Thursday morning, I got a text from one of the men in our congregation, and it stopped me in my tracks and just made me praise God. And it was a simple text. All it said was this. Jameson, would you pray for me this morning? That the Lord would burden my heart for my colleagues so I would speak the gospel to them. (sighs) Yeah, I'll pray for you. I stopped right then. I praised God for this man in our church. And I praised God for the great joy in Jesus that he had. And I praised God for the burden that God was welling up in his heart. And then I asked God to give him an increasing burden that he would enter his workplace as a domestic missionary. Just like you and I are in our jobs and our homes. Domestic missionaries. And it's not just in this one man. I hear it all the time. Two weeks ago, I had a conversation with another man who's sitting here in this room this, this morning. And I was like, hey, how you doing? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, did you ever get to talk with the guy I brought to church? I was like, yeah, I did. I'm having coffee with him this week. How'd you meet him? Well, I was just, you know, at work at a random job site, and I invited him to come to church. And he came to church. <laughs> Lo and behold. Guys, there are domestic missionaries amongst us. Praise God. We are domestic. We're called to be domestic missionaries. And I hear it in these guys in our, in our youth group, our small groups, our Wednesday groups, our missional groups. I hear it in so many conversations. It's so encouraging. And yet we continue to pray for it because that's the very thing Paul prayed for, even for himself. Listen to verse 19 one more time. He's asking God and the church to pray for me. That words would be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Guys, Paul's in prison. He's not at a podium. He's been imprisoned for evangelization. He is an ambassador in Christ. He is so sold out to the purposes of God in the world that he's willing to speak to anyone and everyone, including the people who are imprisoning him. He's a representative of Jesus. His identity in Christ is guiding all of his activity, and the primary activity that he's partaking in is bold gospel declaration. He's asking God. He says twice, help me to proclaim this boldly. 
not softly, not contextually, not in a people-pleasing way, but boldly, full of grace and truth kind of boldness. This free, unhindered, unhindered, unfettered, not watered down declaration of what? He says, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. See, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 118 that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It seems like a puzzle minus three pieces. It's like, I just don't get it. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, the mystery of the gospel is the greatest. It's not like this unsolved story that we'll never know. The mystery of the gospel is the greatest story ever told. And if you know Christ Jesus, the mystery of the gospel has been made known to your heart. It's been revealed to you. And now you get to proclaim it boldly. And so we carry it with this gladness and this gravity in our words, and our hearts. It's a mystery that God has made known to us that this holy, this infinite creator of all things made us in his image, not because he needed us, but because he loved us. And he did this so that you and I would be for his glory, all to the praise of his glorious grace, that we would know, love, and worship him. But what have we done? Why is the gospel a mystery? Well, it's a mystery because what we have done is not what God has asked us to do. You and I have taken God's gifts and our desires. We've put them at the center of our hearts and our lives. We've pushed Jesus to the periphery by nature and by choice, just like our first ancestors. We've worshipped and loved wrongly. We deserve to be separated from God. And this is the battle, the spiritual battle that you and I wage every single day. Loving God or loving His gifts and our desires more. And we've all fallen short. We've missed the mark. There are no perfect Christians. There are only sinners saved by grace. We've missed the mark. We have worshipped wrongly. And yet, the mystery of the gospel is that that holy, infinite God would reconcile us unholy sinners to Himself by putting forward and offering what He demanded in holiness. See, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. The mystery of the gospel is that God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to live the life that we failed to. To die the death that you and I deserve in our sin. And then to be risen from the dead after three days. The power, the love, the mystery of God. Do you see that God was on mission? Jesus is, Paul's asking that he would be on mission because he understands that God was on mission to save him. The only thing that inspires you and I to be on mission is first welling up with joy for the God who saved us because of his mission, his son coming to live, die, and take our place. He, for me, to pay my penalty and to win my victory. That must just foster up praise in your hearts. It's Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking, being born in the likeness of man and taking the form of human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. A death on a cross for the death that you should have died. The death, the eternal pain that you should have died, he bore the full wrath of God so that if you believe in him, you are set free from that penalty. You are given joy, peace, and victory beyond what this life can measure. That's why Paul is on mission. That's why anyone in this room would ever be on mission. See, you could leave this room and just hear, uh, oh yeah, I should go tell the non-Christians I know about Jesus. And you know how long that'll last you? To the end of lunch. Guilt wears off, but joy subsides and stays. Guilt wears off. If you're doing, if you're living missionally just because someone told you to, it's not going to last. If you're living missionally because you're so joyful in knowing the God of the universe through faith in His Son, well then you're not going to ask for someone to remind you to do it. You're going to get to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You're going to get to praise Jesus to others. Tell them about who they need more than anything. Two invitations for you. First and foremost, if you've yet to come to Jesus as, Lord, as Savior, if you've yet to put your faith in Him for the forgiveness of your sin, that is the invitation that I want you to respond to more than anything. See, I don't care if today is your first Sunday, or your thousandth and first Sunday, or something well beyond that. The mystery of the gospel doesn't say, if you do enough right things, if you tithe enough money, If you clean yourself up, then Jesus loves you. No, it says that God has so loved you before you loved him that he gave his son to clean you up. (laughs) That he's the one who paid your penalty because you couldn't and you don't deserve to have it paid. And so my invitation to you is run to him as Savior. Give him your sin. Receive his forgiveness. If you've yet to do that, come. I'm going to invite you to come forward to the altar as soon as I'm done and pray with me. Talk with me about that. And I'm going to. And if you don't want to come forward, then talk with me after the sermon. I want to talk with you about that. Put it on your connect card. Just write salvation. And believe it or not, I'll know what you want to talk about. And if you have responded to Jesus as Savior, my second invitation to you is to respond to him as Lord. We are nearing the conclusion, we are at the conclusion of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. We have heard all about God's glorious grace. Chosen, forgiven, redeemed, adopted, new life, new mission, new community. The new spiritual calling you and I have. But we can't do this without his work in us. And so what I invite you to do is commit to And participate in prayer, even today. You can come forward to the altar and pray up there. You can pray in your seat. You can get down and kneel. You can pray with the elders that will be around the room, the volunteers. Commit to praying, today and always, that God would make Christian Covenant Fellowship a place where His glorious grace is put on display. That the manifold wisdom of God is made known in and through this church. That people look at Christian Covenant Fellowship and they say, only because of God. Only because of God did we see the lost come to be saved. Only because of God did we see people who are unlike each other in every superficial category love one another's family. Only because of God did we see this gospel go to the ends of the earth through 140 band of brothers who love Jesus Christ more than anything else.
Would you commit to following Jesus as Savior, then as Lord? And we do so today as those who have been called, as Paul said, to wage the spiritual war. To stand up in God's strength against God's enemy. To suit up in God's armor. And finally, to speak up in spiritual prayer. What we're going to do now is we're going to continue worshiping this risen and living Jesus by singing to Him, by praying to Him, by taking of communion, which is a time, a shared meal, where we get to, as, as those who have come to know Jesus, this is like your family reunion get-together, where we take and we eat, and we remember that Christ's body was literally broken for the forgiveness of our sins. His blood was actually poured out for the forgiveness of our trespasses. And so I take, eat, remember, body broken, blood poured out, and then respond to him. Cry out to him in prayer for yourself, for the church, that his mission would be accomplished in and through us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. You are so faithful, much more than we could ever put into words much more than we ever deserve. And so, Lord, we come before you right now as your people who are joyful in you, thankful in you, and yet just humbly dependent upon you. God, we are sinners saved by grace. As excited as we might feel in this moment, we first and foremost thank you for giving us the gift of new life that we don't deserve and then commissioning us to live the life that we can't uh, without your help, this missional life. Help us, Lord, to be a people who praise you in song and living and in prayer, that we'd pray spiritually, comprehensively, missionally, that the powers of Satan would be pushed back and the power of the kingdom would advance. Lord, you are good, and we trust that you will accomplish what is glorifying to you and for the good of your people. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that and that we would be joyful in you because of it. It's in your Son's name we ask all these things. Amen.